gas, food, and shelter prices. And you can read shelter prices, homes, okay? Prices are out of control. But your favorite people online are going to tell you, uh, supply and demand, man, it can't go down. Okay, if people have to choose between food, gas, and shelter, you got a problem. And for those of you who do know, I've talked a lot about how there are corollaries to uh, crude oil prices and recessionary economies. So look into that. Again, check my social media out more on, on that topic and how there is an interwoven relationship to crude oil prices and recession. Food prices are up 10.1% since the beginning of the year. 10.1% for food. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Higher Standard Podcast, where we give you ultra-premium, unfiltered truth when it comes to building your wealth and curating the lifestyle of your dreams. No games, no drama, and no shenanigans. I am your host, Chris Nahibi, and I'm here to help you distill the immense amount of information and disinformation out there on the interwebs and give you the opportunity to choose a higher standard for yourself. There are no gurus here, and no one gives a damn about how wealthy you look. I'm an attorney and a banker, amongst other things. Does that mean you should listen to me? Hell no. This is just full disclosure that while we talk about money, wealth, law, investing, and a lot of related topics, you should always speak to your own advisors for an opinion tailored to your unique investment perspective. I am obligated to tell you that nothing contained in this show is in fact legal or investment advice and is being provided solely for entertainment purposes. So sit back, Relax your mind and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. Woo! Welcome back to the show, everyone. This is the world-famous Higher Standard Podcast, and I am one of two hosts for the show, Chris Nahibi. Welcome back. It has been an exciting couple of weeks in the financial realm. For those of you who follow me on social media, you know how closely I've been watching the talk of recessionary economies for a number of reasons. I hate gurus. I think they do a lot of damage, people selling courses, stuff like that online, but particularly in economies like this where there's such a profound psychological impact on people. It's difficult for people to process changing of the guard in the financial times as it is. But when you have so many people on social media balling out and showing flashy watches and flashy cars and talking about how they got rich super quick and you should do the same, all you got to do is take their course, we are, we are doing damage to people. And there's a lot of things that are happening in, in the ecosystem right now of the financial world that are really scary enough in and of themselves. We don't need all this extra shit causing problems. I, I like to do shows now with my co-host, Saeed. I think they're, frankly, more entertaining. In, in, in a lot of ways, don't tell him this because I don't want him to get a big ego about this. He's going to be much better of a podcast host, I think, than I am because he's just more relatable. His voice sounds smoother. I don't know why. Maybe i got to check the audio processing. I don't know what the hell's going on. Or i got to have my people change that because he sounds too damn good. But this one was important to me. I wanted to really do this because today is June 13th. It's Monday. In two days from now, on Wednesday, June 15th, the Fed will announce the next interest rate hike. Up until, I think really today, people were saying it was guaranteed lock for 50 basis points because there was a perception that Jerome Powell in the Monday, I'm sorry, in the May statements following that meeting in the middle of the month, he came out and said that some things that people took to mean that they'd taken 75 basis points off the table for an increase. 
I'm going to play that snippet for you a little bit later on so that you can kind of draw your own conclusions and we can talk through what was said and why he really didn't take it off the table. But I also think this is hugely important for people to understand. And I know that you don't want to sit here and you don't want a massively long lecture, so I'm going to try to do this fast. I'm going to try to do it clear, and I'm going to try to give you a ton of information in a little bit of time. But you need to stay listening to the end of this particular podcast. If there's any one podcast you want to listen all the way through on, it's this one. I'm going to hit you with some big-time stuff at the end, which goes back to I kind of, kind of the baseline of where my thoughts around recessionary economies come from and why you should even listen to some dumbass like me. Why my opinion here matters. Okay? So the meeting that was held in May where Jerome Powell came out, he said, a few things that I think were impactful. But he also said he'd be monitoring and looking at metrics. He'd be looking at a lot of different things going on. And just a week ago, I told everybody on social media that there were two things that were really, really, really important. He said, we, we knew that on, I think it was Wednesday of that week, it was the mortgage application data that was coming out. That was June, I want to say 8th. And then on June 10th, Friday of that week, that was the updated inflation numbers. So I know that a lot of this stuff is being thrown around in the news, and not everybody necessarily understands exactly what it means. So I'm going to help clarify those points why I explain how all this shit is twisted, okay? So let's start with the mortgage data. I think the mortgage data is kind of important because it sets the right tone for what the economy is going through. Now, your favorite real estate gurus online are going, hey, man, supply and demand, there's not enough supply in the markets. And even these people do it. It's not isolated to just them. It's gurus, it's economists, it's all sorts of people in the economy that, that have this, this mental status, this, this phobia, this mania that things cannot and will not change. And they're going to cite every single little thing they possibly can to hold on to that hope. So I don't begrudge people who have this perspective. I respect it, but it's wrong. So let's play this clip and we'll get into the details as to why. Levels not seen in more than 20 years. Diana Olick is here now with the details. Diana? Well, Kelly, it actually fell to the lowest level in 22 years last week as interest rates went on the upswing again. Demand now about half of what it was a year ago. The average rate on the 30-year fixed had fallen back a little bit in May, but rose again last week from 5.33% to 5.4%. That according to the Mortgage Bankers Association, and that's for loans with 20% down. Just as a comparison, that rate was 3.15% a year ago. As a result, refinance demand continues to tank, as you would expect. But the bigger pain point seems to be for home buyers. Purchase mortgage demand fell 7% for the week and was 21% below where it was a year ago. The housing market has clearly taken a sharp turn after the red-hot buying spree spurred by COVID. Sales are falling, but prices are still rising. A new report from CoreLogic this week showed prices still gaining in April, up close to 21% nationally from a year ago. And that's because while there is some new supply coming onto the market and homes are sitting slightly longer, supply is still historically low. Large cities in the South, especially Florida, seeing the, both the hottest prices and the lowest supply. And unfortunately, the home builders haven't been helping much with housing starts falling in April. And we'll get those numbers for May coming up next week. Kelly? So I'm going to stop it right there. There's a lot more to that interview, but I don't think it's really relevant to what we're talking about. So yes, I've seen this firsthand in Florida. You go there, there's a shit ton of construction going on. 30% increase in home values in, in the state on average, I want to say. Don't quote me, but it's, it's, it's in and around there. I want to say it's even actually a little higher than that. But across the country, the average contract interest rate for a 30-year fixed rate mortgage, conforming loan balances, keep in mind this is 647, 200 or so, 
increased to 5.4% from 5.33%. Not a big deal. And these rates are still relatively good relative to where the economy was several years ago, decades ago. I mean, these are not 7 8% interest rates, but they are going up. Applications for a mortgage uh, to purchase a home fell 7% for the week and were down 21% from the same week one year ago. And I think the next thing is really the most impactful part of it. Refinance demand dropped 6% for just the week, but was down 75% year over year. If you refinance down to something that was 3% or sub 3%, I got a 2.71 um, on, my, on my primary, for example. You're not going to refinance to 5.4 or 5.3%. You don't need to do that unless you really need cash out. Unless you, you have, you're selling your home and going to buy something, you're going to buy at historical highs right now. So it's no shock that this type of demand is down so significantly, 75% year over year. Now, the, the fallacy, the logical fallacy that these real estate personalities and even economists fall through is, oh my God, well, we're still seeing home values rise. Okay, that's not the way this works. It's a deceleration over time. They rise slower and slower, and then they eventually go back. You have to think about this as a pendulum swinging. It doesn't just go from the start to the finish. It has to swing through. So as it swings through, it loses momentum as it gets to the top and then starts to reverse course when it gets down towards the, the middle again. Okay, And it's going gonna, it's gonna to go up and swing up, or lose, lose momentum, swing back down once it gets to the peak. The economy can't skip the process. So yes, there is a palpable deceleration, and you're seeing the volume of transactions slow down. That is the beginning of the deceleration and values coming down. And I know what people are saying online that it's not going to happen. So I'm going to skip that part of the debate for right now, but we will get back to it. Let's talk about that May meeting. Okay, so this week, the reason why I'm doing this podcast right now is because we saw some pretty impactful things going on in the economy. Cryptocurrency took a massive hit, but this, po this podcast is not about cryptocurrency. It is down significantly. I think the economy... As, as for those of you who are not initiated, what happens is, is before the Fed announces a federal interest rate, a Fed interest rate increase, the treasuries and everybody in the economy tends to, to price that increase in based on the expectation. A lot of people track this. I tend to look at Bloomberg's tracking and their probability. The last interest rate increase in May, for example, had a 200% probability of a 50 basis point increase. Up until today, I think we were over, well over 100% that it was going to be a 50 basis point increase for June 15th. However, people are now saying that it could be 75 basis points because of what happened on Friday, and that's because inflation did not go down. But before we get there, let's talk about where the Fed left us in May, as I've somewhat foreshadowed. Sure. So um, 75 basis point uh, in an increase is not something the committee is actively considering. What we are doing is uh, we raised 50 basis points today, and, and we've said that, again, assuming that economic and financial conditions evolve in, in ways that are consistent with our expectations, there's a broad sense on the committee that additional 50 basis increases should be on, 50 basis point increases should be on the table for the next couple of meetings. So we're going to make those decisions at the meetings, of course, and we'll be paying close attention to the incoming data and the evolving outlook as well as to financial conditions. And, and finally, of course, we will be communicating to the public about what our expectations will be as they evolve. So the, te the test is really just, as I laid it out, economic and financial conditions evolving broadly in line with expectations. And, you know, I think expectations are that we'll, we'll start to see inflation, you know, flattening out uh, and uh, not necessarily declining yet, but we'll see more evidence. We've seen some evidence that the core PCE inflation is is perhaps 
either reaching a peak or flattening out. We'll want to know. We'll want to know more than just some evidence. We'll want to really feel like we're making some progress there. And but I mean, I, I we're going to make these decisions, and there'll be a lot more information. I just think we want to see we want to see that information as we get there. It's a very difficult environment to try to give forward guidance 60, 90 days in advance. There are just so many things that can happen in the economy and around the world. So, um, you know, we're leaving ourselves room to look at the data and make a dis- make dis- you know, decision as we get there. So it's pretty clear that Jerome Powell, in his addressing of everyone post-May meeting, that he left himself some wiggle room. He did say that 75 basis points was probably not going to happen at the time, but that he's leaving himself the opportunity to look at it and look at some of these economic indicators over time and make an informed decision. You can't look at the economy on a singular you know, month-to-month basis and really tell what's going on. For example, and I'm going to butcher the classical definition of it, but that's not the point, a recessionary economy is technically defined as two quarters meeting certain metrics and parameters, okay? Two quarters or six months. I believe we're going to hit that already in June. I've been saying that over and over again. For those of you who listen to this, I've spoken at length about how July 2022 is going to be a huge period of time for this rhetoric to get bad. But here we are in June before the next Fed interest rate increase, and things are already getting in bad, largely because of the numbers in CPI. I think people could appreciate that mortgage applications are going to go down on June 8th, but then on June 10th, this last Friday, this happens, okay? Now, before we get into it, I want to explain a little bit about what CPI is, because people are throwing around the words CPI and inflation a lot, okay? And I, I know there's some confusion here, and we're not all economists, and even I had to look this up at one point in my career, and I just happen to be in the business, okay? So I'm not smarter or more talented, any of that bullshit. I just use this, this vernacular all the time because I'm around it. So CPI means Consumer Price Index. A CPI is a statistical estimate constructed using the price of a sample of representative items whose prices are collected periodically. And you're like, what in the actual fuck? Basically, back in the day, it used to be a basket of goods and how much that basket of goods cost. Think about oranges. Think about, you know, bacon, commodities. You want a great movie which kind of talks about this in, in a really, really funny way. Trading Places with Eddie Murphy. They, always t- they talked about commodities. and That's how everybody got rich. They were commodities traders. You should go back and check that out. I'm a huge Eddie Murphy fan, but I digress. Inflation is an increase in the level of prices of the goods and services that households buy. So as CPI goes up, that's inflation. If it were to go down, that's deflation. Not a huge amount of language here, but the people use the word CPI going up and inflation interchangeably. And it's really the same thing, but CPI is the measure and inflation is the action, right? Up or down, deflation. It's measured by the rate of change of those prices. Typically, prices rise over time, but prices can also fall. That is, again, deflation. Unfortunately, that's not what we're going through right now. The most well-known indicator of inflation is, of course, this consumer price index. Every country has their own. Australia has one, for example. The U.S. has one. And ours, well, didn't go quite the way analysts thought. So I'm going to go ahead and play this particular video. I promise it's the last video I'm going to play for those of you who don't like me playing them, but I think there's a tremendous amount of value in stuff like this, particularly because you get to hear it from somebody else who's arguably smarter than me or more connected than me. I don't know, but here we go. 
Well, Lisa, this is not going to be news. Uh, good news down at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. The CPI comes in up 1% for the month of May. That is higher than the three-tenths we saw in April and much higher than the seven-tenths that had been forecast. Core comes in up six-tenths of a percent. That is uh, the same as it was the prior month, but it is higher than what had been anticipated. On a year-over-year basis, when you're looking at where inflation is, we thought we could say it peaked last month. It did not. It was up 8.3% in April, 8.6% for the month of May. That matches the all-time high in this cycle. Uh, and the uh, core rate up 6%. That's a little bit lower than last month's 6.2%. And that's kind of what we've been expecting, uh, given the fact that uh, the energy complex is driving so much of what's going on. So we're at it once again. Here we are with somebody giving, throwing out a lot of vernacular. I'm going to break this down real simple, okay? Because we all hear this stuff on the news, and sometimes we all pretend like we know what's going on. We nod our heads, and we're like, yeah, 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 we, I know, I know. But we don't really know because it's a lot of words and numbers and shit, and you're like, what the fuck? So the Bureau of Labor Statistics released its May report on June 10th, right? That's where the inflation numbers came from. The agency found that inflation continued to rise in May. That was up from 8.6% from this time a year ago. So these things, these commodities, they're, they're going up 8.6%. And it wasn't just like one category or two. Ca- it was every single fucking one. They're all, everything's going up. Every single one went up by 1%. So all these categories went up. And nobody was expecting They were actually expecting it to go down. This was more than the 8.3% that analysts had predicted. And keep in mind, an analyst's job is kind of to look at all the facts, look at all the metrics, and make an informed kind of pro forma guess on some ways. I never really like that, but it's kind of one of the things that they do. And, and on that same topic, I will say the Fed has a bit of a conundrum, right? They're trying to communicate more with all of us about the things that they're talking about. They release their Fed minutes, and they also have these press conferences after the meetings. That hasn't always been the way this has gone. The Fed is trying to be more communicative so the markets can plan accordingly and price things in. But now we've got a, a bit of a dual problem, right? Jerome Powell has come out and said, you know, he, was, he wasn't really bullish on 75 basis points, left him room for 50. You don't want to lose communication credibility with everybody around you saying, ah, Jerome Powell said that shit last time, but then he went ahead and did it anyway. But at the same time, you've got to, you don't want to lose your actual you know, federal economic policy and regulation. And you don't want to lose your credibility in what it is that your core job is, and that's to you know, regulate this economy, to have your Fed policy control the economy. So that's more of a priority than, than him going back on his word in some way, even though I've heard that rhetoric in, in kind of the news. I, I don't know. This has been the fastest increase in inflation in the U.S. since December 1981. That's 41 years ago. This is the fastest prices have increased, okay? So a lot of these gurus online, these people that are out there, 30, 40 years old, people like myself, 41 years old, I was one year old. And that was, a, that was the middle of a recession. For those of you who don't know, 1980 to 1982 was actually a recessionary economy. There's a whole litany of, of things back there. And I think if you go to my social media or some of the stuff that I've done, I've broken down all these recessionary economies going all the way back to actually this one. Playing a significant role in the CPI move was this steep increase in, you ready? Hold your, ba- hold your breath. Gas, food, and shelter prices. Okay? These are three basic human core necessities. Gas food, and shelter prices. And you can read shelter prices, homes, okay? Prices are out of control. But your favorite people online going to tell you, uh, supply and demand, man, it can't go down. Okay, if people have to choose between food, gas, and shelter, you got a problem. 
And for those of you who do know, I've talked a lot about how there are corollaries to uh, crude oil prices and recessionary economies. So look into that. Again, check my social media out more on, on that topic and how there is an interwoven relationship to crude oil prices and recession. Food prices are up 10.1% since the beginning of the year. 10.1% for food. Some of these families that already live paycheck to paycheck, and there was a, that, if you watch a couple, I did a YouTube video on this where I talked about $250,000. So, uh, I think 36% of people making that much money were living paycheck to paycheck. So there's a lot of people out there making what you think is good money, not, not doing very, very well, and they're going to have to cut back even with the good money that they make. Wages as a result of inflation went down in April by 0.6%. This was despite hourly wages rising by 0.3% during the same period, effectively 1% difference in wages, how much money people made, okay? You do that for a couple of months, call it five, six months, people are earning 5 or 6% less on average during the time. And that can be super impactful, especially when you think about their food going up 10%. That's a 16% swing of someone's paycheck, man. This shit's measurable. It's tangible. It's going to have an impact. Okay, so so people who who write this stuff off as ah it's okay, you just don't you know buy as much bacon or don't buy avocados. That that's not taken in the whole picture. The industries with the steepest price increases were air travel, dairy, and used vehicles. And for those of you who do not recall, the top three categories of non-household debt: number one, student loan; number two, auto debt; and number three, credit card debt. So you can clearly see used vehicles layers right into that, and things are going really really high in in a way that they really shouldn't. Literally not a single piece of good news came out of this damn report. And as a result, after Friday, we now jump into Monday. That's today. The market has gone to complete shit and the phobia is starting to creep in. And here is the end that I promised you would be so impactful. Here is the huge piece of information I want you to really take home from this because this is scary shit. I know that. I know there's a lot of people that are going to hear the words recessionary economies, and they're going to be even talking about depressions next, because guess what? Once you label it a recession, people are like, oh my God, it's going to get worse. Are we going to go into a depression? And there is a textbook definition of why depression is worse, and it's more prolongated, and there's a whole thing there, but that is not for right now. Okay, what's for right now is for perspective. I want to provide some perspective to you, the audience, to you, my friends, because I think it's valuable. And I think the most important part of this is I don't want anyone to feel like this is a lonely, harsh place for them to be. I don't want anybody to look at this time and go, okay, I don't understand what's happening. This is truly unprecedented. And I have thrown around the, thrown around the word unprecedented a lot, okay? But I want you to understand that is to be used in a narrowly tailored way. On April 15th, 2009, the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania published an article titled Hope, Greed, and Fear. The Psychology Behind the Financial Crisis in their business journal, which discussed the Great Recession. I'm going to read to you four paragraphs from this article, and you need to appreciate what they're trying to tell you. Okay, here we go. There are spreadsheets and financial statements and models and rules and regulations, said Carolyn Marvin, a professor at the University of Pennsylvania's Annenberg School for Communication. On the other hand, there are these feelings we have. She's trying to illustrate that there's a difference between the numbers and your feelings. Continuing on. Emotion, it can be argued, not only helped to lead America into the current economic crisis, but may also be helping to keep them there. For those of you who do not remember, 
2007, 2008, that's the Great Recession. 2009, you were still very, very much dealing with the impacts of that recessionary economy, and they were still very much in it. So it's starting to make their way out, but definitely nowhere near healthy, I would say. And here we are at a conference where she's quoting and talking about this and then putting it into a business journal. At a recent conference called Crisis of Confidence, the Recession and the Economy of Fear, sponsored by the University of Pennsylvania's Department of Psychiatry and the Psychoanalytic Center of Philadelphia, an interdisciplinary panel explored the psychological elements behind what was then today's economy. And here we go. You ready? Stand up. Stand tall. This is where you turn the volume up. Is there a systematic way to think about our feelings when it comes to the economy, asked Marvin, the panel moderator. The word confidence itself has a double-edged sword text context to it, encompassing optimism on one hand and delusion on the other. And could there be a psychological tinge to the economic vocabulary itself? The powers that are avoiding the word depression, Marvin pointed out, which describes not only a state of the market, but certainly a clinical condition. Psychological factors are at work behind the crisis, the panel agreed. Although each focused on a different element, mania and over-optimism behind the housing bubble, a lack of self-control by consumers hooked on debt, and the shock and feelings of betrayal of many Americans who thought they were making safe investments but now find themselves facing a frightening and uncertain future. If you didn't see that on the news today, if you aren't seeing that around you, I don't know what to point you to because it is so palpable and in your face and the headlines are there, it's on social media, it's in the conversations at parties, it's everywhere right now. So let's break down that last paragraph, mania and over-optimism behind the housing bubble. If you're at all familiar with what's going on today, it's fed by people in the real estate business eager to keep their good times rolling. And I have been top of the list calling people out. And I'm a real estate, I'm, I'm a realtor, I'm a broker, I have a, I have a brokerage, I'm in this space. I'm, I specialize in real estate lending. It's not that I don't love the space. I do, but I think there's an important realism to keep when you're addressing these things because the more real you are, the more cognizant that you are of what's going on around you, you can lead people by example. You can teach them to do the things that you're doing or at least give them the opportunity to see how you handle it from a leadership perspective. The second part of that paragraph, a lack of self-control by consumers hooked on debt. Like today, with historically high non-household debt led by student loans, autos, and credit card debt, don't forget massive mortgage debt to buy homes at historic high prices. And of course, the third element of that paragraph and the shock and feelings of betrayal of many Americans who thought they were making safe investments but now find themselves facing frightening and uncertain futures. Really? Bitcoin? The stock market today, NFTs, watch prices at sky high. People are trading and selling watches as investments. Car prices, even used cars, like we talked about earlier, used car prices were the steepest price increases in, in, in the CPI. That's insane. And people are using them to flip cars, and they're, they're, they're making money on these industries that will not last, okay? Does any of this sound familiar? That's today, but it was also 2009. It was also the Great Recession, and yes, there were different Every recessionary economy has been led into by something different and unique. One was uh, Iranian controversy. There was another with oil, crude oil prices. There's been the, the fintech bubble and so on and so forth through history. Not a single one of them was really started the exact same way. But the outcomes, the results, these tangible, measurable things that we can look at every single day tell the same damn stories. And yet we sit here 
in total fucking denial. We sit here in this mania where we don't want to see the good times stop. We, we want to believe that supply and demand will prop the real estate market up and this economy will be different. It's not. We are not special. We are not different. Behavioral economics are what they are. So, of course, people don't want to believe the data in front of them. They, they want to quote supply and demand while they live in this fantasy land, this magical castle and kingdom that they're going to keep this economic prosperous time rolling. Some people have to. Because they live so close to paycheck to paycheck, they have to keep this rhetoric alive and they have to sell it to you. The news wants to give you what you want to hear. Do you want to hear the truth or do you want to hear a rosy spin? Because a lot of people will choose that rosy spin. It isn't just the online gurus. It's the economists, the news, industry professionals, and so many other people. I'm going to tell you a story and then I'm going to wrap this up because it's been a longer one and I apologize for that. In 2007, I watched from a high-rise office window the Great Recession was in full, full blast, and, and we and my colleagues had been given a 60-day warn notice, which in California, for those of you who aren't familiar, which means if something hasn't changed in 60 days, you're essentially laid off. I watched while colleagues were laid off one by one, making this long walk to the parking structure that I could see from that window. I would watch them literally leave one by one, and each one of them had a white banker box full of their personal items, and they walked all the way to this faraway parking structure. And some of them, most of them, I never saw or heard from them again. It was fucking gut-wrenching. And I'm sitting here looking at myself at the time. I want to say I was 26. And I, I'm looking at myself going, why am I different? You know, that, that's a grown adult there with a family. They got, they got obligations. They, they have responsibilities. They have kids. Why am I different? And I never, never was able to reconcile it. To this day, I, I, don't, I don't really know that, that if I'm lucky or talented or, or what it might be. And, and I'm just glad that whatever it was, I was because that could have been me carrying a box away. And I, I don't ever want to go through that again. I don't ever want to lie to people or, or tell people that the economy is better than it is because I don't think there's any value in that. So I hope to never relive that moment. And, I, and it's in that moment that keeps me from buying into this mania, remembering how painful and, and just polarizing that visual was is what keeps me grounded in, in this reality. For those of you who like Fight Club, it's one of my favorite movies. And I quote it a lot, but this quote I think is important now. You are not your job. You are not how much money you have in the bank. You are not the car you drive. You are not the contents of your wallet. You are not your fucking khakis. No matter what comes next, just remember that you are not defined by what you have. You are defined by how you react to adversity. That is how you build character. In this economy, we will face adversity. And I hope that all of you will heed this warning and you will build character. I do believe the Fed is going to increase interest rates 75 basis points in two days from now. And by the time you hear this, you will know the answer. And I hope, I hope I'm wrong, but I believe that's what's going to happen. I promise the next one will be a happier episode. I'll probably be drinking something and talking to Saeed. But for now, we'll see you next time. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Higher Standard Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you are listening to this on. If you like this episode, please write a review and share it with us. You're getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase what's possible when leaders decide to uphold a higher standard for their businesses, their investments, their families, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to see more of my content, I post daily on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, so be sure to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And with that, it is a wrap. And as always, I look forward to hanging with you all on the next episode.